We the Power, a podcast from Patagonia. In the midst of our global energy crisis, people are fighting for a clean path forward. This is their story. I'm a climate activist, so I'm active by Fridays for Future. And already before the flood, I was constantly asking myself, why are politicians aren't acting the way they should? Why don't they see this huge threat of the climate crisis? I remember standing in my house, it was already surrounded by the water, and I was literally asking my parents, what will my future be? What will it look like if we continue like that? The water came and tore down the walls These empty that was Empty Halls by Daniel Bongart. And you just heard from Julia Vinuski from Fridays for the Future. Daniel is from the R Valley in Germany. Now, that was an area which was destroyed by floods last summer, as you may remember, because it was all over the news. And Julia is from there too, and she's currently waiting to return home after the devastation destroyed her home. That's after a year. She's still not back at home. We're going to hear more from Julia later on and we'll hear then about how the Fridays for the Future movement have an incredible plan to transform the R Valley into the Solar Valley. You see what I did there. But first, I spoke to Stefan Gansger from the World Wind Energy Association and Parents for the Future in Bonn. So Stefan is our guide in this episode to the big picture of energy in Germany and indeed globally. Stefan, you live in Bonn and you spend a lot of time in the R Valley. Tell us why. Yeah, I must uh, admit that that has uh, become more frequently our destination. Um, but uh, that R Valley is just, I'm living in Bonn, it's just 20, 30 kilometers from here. It's a beautiful place. It's not only the valley itself, but also surroundings, uh, wonderful almost untouched area there with great forests and very beautiful also in the R Valley it's it's uh, famous for its red wine so it's not only nature it's also famous for kind of some I cultural... see why you go there so often yes yeah I would too. I, I'm often going by car there I admit <laughs> electric car uh, so it's not possible but we can buy some wine and have it at home <laughs> how shocking was it when the floods swept through that region in that way? Well, I mean, we, we had some warnings the days before there would be a lot of rain. So I arrived in the morning at my office at 9 o'clock and at 10 o'clock the rain started. It rained, 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 rained. In the afternoon, I had an appointment for my, I think it was the second shot for my vaccination, COVID vaccination. And then, of course, we, we knew that there some places would have some floods. But then uh, when the first news came in, uh, it was just shocking. We heard houses collapsed and things like that. So I personally experienced how strong the rain was. But what that meant for the people in this valley, which geographically is, of course, because it's quite narrow, uh, we just noticed the next morning. You've already mentioned you were getting your COVID shot, your second COVID shot. During the course of this conversation, we're going to talk about the devastating floods the fact that we're in a pandemic, and we're also inevitably going to reference the war in Ukraine. 
This is an unbelievable time, isn't it? And what is the situation regarding energy in Germany? What is the conversation at the moment? Oh, that is a difficult one. I mean, I've been kind of part of those people who've started the, the change, the big transformation more than 20 years ago. I worked 1998 when the new government came at that time in place, made important legislative decisions. I worked for Hermann Scheer, who is one of the most important politicians in that field. Um, there was great progress in Germany. And then, of course, like the, the big uh, coal, also gas companies woke up and they kind of managed uh, to stop, delay more and more. So the last like five to 10 years were not very successful in Germany. And recently that became easier because of the climate movement, because there was a lot of pressure, of course, from the people now, hundreds of thousands suddenly on the street demonstrating for climate action, which is what we see today again, is just one, a very important, but one very strong argument why we need to shift towards renewables. And now I think everybody is so shocked about this war, Putin's attack on Ukraine, on the country, which has so much to do with energy dependence, because most of Europe depends on imported energy from, especially from Russia. And this is not only gas, oil, coal, it's also nuclear, by the way. I mean, the US are getting more than half of their nuclear fuels from Russia. Hardly anybody speaks about this. There's an even stronger dependence in the case of fossil fuels. So this is, I think, at the moment, we, we do not really understand how much it is changing the debate, but it has a very strong impact already right away. And I am in that sense, although it's tragic, we need a war to understand it. I am confident that the, the next months will show a lot of movement for renewable energy in that direction. This is really fascinating. I hadn't heard the stat that you gave about nuclear energy and the US dependence. How do you move the conversation from renewables as the freedom energy, the peace energy, to community energy within that argument? Because you can have renewables that in a way perpetuate inequity, still leak out profit. How do you put the community energy into that, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it's, renewables are by nature offered in a decentralized way. It's just amazing. And I repeat this recently. In Germany alone, the sun sends per year and per square meter the energy equivalent of almost one barrel of oil every year per square meter. So that means that you have everywhere enough energy and you just need to kind of harvest it. So that means you do not need those long supply chains, which you have in the case of gas, oil extraction, refineries, etc., or nuclear processing of nuclear fuels, etc. The energy is with us, it's around us. So that means automatically that people, they can harvest it. They just need small equipment for that. And the solar panel is not something very complicated. The wind turbine is a bit more complicated, but that's similar. The energy is everywhere. It's around us. We can harvest it and people are understanding that. It gives them a lot of power. It's really empowering them. And at the same time, and some people speak about it more from the viewpoint of acceptance. 
community energy something that is good for acceptance, that actually people want to be independent, they want to kind of be resilient, they want to use the resources that are there. And they often fighting even against governments to, to be allowed to use the renewables. So when we look at also the at the history of renewables and community energy, it's always been somehow a struggle against governments, against existing legislation, which is favoring uh, large corporations, which is favoring centralized structures, etc. And that makes community energy so important. We will see and we see a structural conflict that's there, but we see a deep structural fundamental change, which in the future will give much, much more power to the citizens and the communities. And that is why it will eventually only work if those communities, I mean, we, in Germany, we use more the term Bürger, which means citizens. Actually, I prefer even the English term because you're never alone. As a, although citizen has a nice political implication, it, it means you, you have some rights. But that really underlines the importance and st it will strengthen and it's strengthening whether it's uh, just a community neighborhood or your municipality where you live. So you can see our trajectory when these community citizen burger projects increase and they get more and more important. But what is the time frame and can community energy respond to the crisis or crises, multiple crises that we are seeing now? I mean, there is, I would even say, not much uh, alternative because you will see, just take a concrete example. We've recently done, uh, we've analyzed as well with Energy Association, the duration of wind farm permitting processes. And they are terribly long all over the world. So it's six, seven, eight years. In some places it takes 10 years or even longer from applying for a permission of, for a wind farm until you get the permission. And this is very obvious if you have, because these decisions are usually taken on the local level. If you have people who are working for this locally, it will be faster. You need to mobilize the people that they understand it's good for them. And if everybody wants a solar roof, a PV system on the on your house, then things will start moving. No government can, can organize it in a centralized way. So we need such kind of approaches. And um, for example, uh, the, the storage uh, or potential from batteries is still um, underestimated. Think about the, the amount of storage we will have when we will have a higher share of electric cars. This is all decentralized. I have an electric car with 64 kilowatt hours, which would be good to cover our homes uh, and electricity need for about a week. So if we manage to connect all these things on the local level, we will come quite far and, and the system will be much more stable because if one of those small systems is kind of lacking to provide what it should, then it's not like one nuclear power station, like the problem they have in France now. There's not such a big gap at once. So many people now speak also about cellular networks. The basis is, is a bottom-up process. So that makes the system 
much more resilient and much more stable. And you see already when you look at the networks like in, in Denmark or, or Germany, with the highest share of these variable renewable energies, wind for example, uh, in particular, but also sun, they have the most stable electricity grids, more than France, for example. With just a few minutes of uh, blackout, we have an average in Germany or Denmark every year. And that became more and more stable the more renewables we added to the grid. The other question with the material, if we have a decentralized electricity supply system, we need, at the end of the day, less power lines. You save a lot of copper. So that needs to taken into consideration. And most people, when they talk about it, they just talk about economies of scale. They're not talking about, are not looking into, they take it just as, as given, something given, that economy of scale, the bigger, the better, makes automatically sense. But I think it's rather the opposite way. Where you can harvest, let's say, the sun, for example. I mean, the easiest is a pocket calculator. You hardly need a cable because you have a very small solar cell. We used them 30 years ago already, and it's used directly. So it's, it's, a, it's a very tiny amount of energy and no cable needed. Before that, we had pocket calculators, which you, we, you had to plug in. Think about it. Dig out coal, then bring the coal to the power station, heat water, produce steam. Then you have a huge generator, a lot of losses. Then you produce electricity. Then you have high voltage and it goes to medium and low voltage. And then it comes out at your plug. And then you run your pocket calculator with it. We understood 30 years ago that that is not so efficient. I think that's the, a very simple way how you can understand. Pocket calculator, tiny solar cell, it's enough. I think Julia would have been amazed by the size of the pocket calculator, which wouldn't fit in many pockets in those days. So let me ask you this. Um, would you do this for me, Stefan? And then we're going to speak to Sandra next. You spoke about your electric car. How can you see electric cars working in a community energy setup. I'm also a, a member of the supervisory board of an energy cooperative. And we offer car sharing with electric cars. And that, of course, is even more efficient when you look at what I just said before, because then several families, they share this car and it's charged at the place where you can pick it up. It's a super efficient way compared to the way it's been before. What unfortunately in many countries is not yet allowed, including in Germany, is that you use the battery of the car to store, for example, from your solar home system and feed it back into the grid. That's just, it's technically it would be possible, but legally it's not yet allowed. It's a huge storage capacity which could be used. We're not yet using it. We're not allowed yet to use it, but there you see one of the Challenges. It's a political challenge. It's not technical. I was at a trade fair last year. I, there was a Tesla and they connect the Tesla with a coffee machine. Then I drank coffee from that Tesla. I've, I found that very nice. It was easy to show people how it can work. Very nice. Very, very good demonstration to uh, brew coffee from a Tesla. So do you feel there is a window now to push for these kind of changes because... 
of everything that's going on with the German energy crisis and the European energy crisis is now the time that you will be lobbying or different groups will be lobbying to get changes such as allowing uh, electric cars to feed back energy to the grid? I think the main challenge will be to overcome the resistance against this kind of restructuring. And they will lose power, they will lose turnover, and communities, citizens will take it over. And they try to kind of stop that, delay that, maybe stop that. And they have a lot of money, of course, to do that. And that's why we need really to talk to many people and explain them and spread this information. You can do it by yourself. And that's why I think what this um, We the Power campaign is doing is so important because it creates more awareness. It's, it's extremely important. People become aware of it, but often they feel they are somehow alone. But the more people understand they are not at all alone, and that makes the climate movement so strong. Greta was alone the first Friday, but afterwards not. Then we become stronger and stronger. And that is a key. At the end of the day, the climate movement, the renewables movement have together in the community and achieve. You're listening to We The Power with me, Lucy Siegel. Now, Stefan has provided some fascinating insight into how and why community energy is at the heart of the renewable revolution we badly need. In a world without centralised fossil fuels or even non-carbon-based energy, the local model could shift the balance of power and give us all a say in how we run our lives. Wouldn't that be amazing? We could even use shared cars as batteries to store the power we make on our roofs and in our shared spaces. The technology is there. The future could be so much better, but we have to make plans to get us there. And my next guest has been doing just that. Sandra Prefer is also from Parents for Future and based near the R Valley in Bonn. And she has been involved in the Renewables Roundtable with Scientists for Future, which has created a fully costed plan to make community-owned renewables part of building back after the floods in this region in the R Valley. Yes, they want to create a solar valley in the region. Sandra, first of all, tell me about your own experience of the floods last summer. I'm a mother of two. My, my um, children are 17 and 20 years old now. They're involved in the climate movement too. And um, for me as a journalist, you know, reporting right away after the disaster and talking to people affected was another experience because, I mean, this is not a disaster zone that I'm, you know, traveling to in, in the global south. This is around. It's your like, home. It's very personal. I mean, it's. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, that must have been so hard. It, it was hard. It was touching. 134 people died in this flood. Almost 800 people were injured. So many homes were destroyed. And as the parents and, and, and sitting in this 
organization, which is called the um, Round Table of Renewable Energy. And, and, and we have also members there from the Fridays movement, but also the re renewable energy movement. We were thinking, I mean, how can we build back better? Germany is a rich country. They provided 30 billion euros for the recovery. And, and we really want to make sure that this recovery funding is invested in 100% renewable recovery, sustainable recovery, and so forth. But um, we, we really feel that the recovery should be owned by the people. I mean, even the renewable energy agencies, they, they did a survey and they found out that 84% of the people living in the Arriva Valley, they want to have a renewable, citizen-driven, and, and, and also sustainable um, recovery. And, and I think that's um, what community energy can also do. It's, it, it, it's about value change. It's about creating jobs. It's about creating hope. This is We the Power from Patagonia. And we heard from Julia at the start of the programme. Now, Julia is from the R Valley and part of the Fridays for Future movement. But after being so involved in climate activism, what was it like to witness climate devastation firsthand? This day actually started like uh, just every other day, like I was in school and I remember um, coming home from school and taking the bus and I was like at the bus station and thinking, wow, <laughs> that's heavy rain. But aside from that, I didn't recognize anything special about that day. And I was home and I was actually painting a paper for demonstration, which should have been on Friday. Yeah, and then it started raining heavier and heavier and I was sitting in my room and I was starting going out to my neighbors and helping them cleaning their basement because it was already flooded and the water was coming so fast and it was it was raising so fast and it was really like I can remember all events that happened but it's like it was all going so fast it's really hard to were you scared? Were you frightened? Of course, of course. I mean, um, I think everybody would be scared because it's something, especially here in Germany, you never experience. When your house is surrounded by water and you see your whole village going down in the water, of course, who wouldn't be scared? Okay, explain. You've been through that ordeal. It is terrifying, would be terrifying for anybody. And the fear that you carry is about global change. So just explain what that fear is. Yeah, so I'm climate activist. So I'm um, active by Fridays for Future. And I was going to demonstrations before. And of course, already before the flood, I was constantly asking myself, why are politicians aren't acting the way they should? Why don't they see this huge threat of, of the climate crisis? And after ex 
experience what this climate change really does, it's a whole different perspective. I remember standing in my house, it was already surrounded by the water and I was literally asking my parents, what will my future be? What will it look like if we continue like that? And yeah, I think it was also pretty shocking for my parents to see like how fear of young people can be. And how much did you feel that this was caused by, well, fossil fuel, addiction to fossil fuel and addiction to the system that we're now all talking about? Yeah, uh, I was very angry and I still am because I thought the very next day after it, I thought maybe it will change something. Maybe people, especially politics here in Germany, will finally see what this threat really is. It's really disappointing because uh, the elections were a new government and it's still not enough. It's the environment. You can't negotiate with it. So either we do it right and we stay under 1.5 degrees or we not. There's no other options. So as Sandra has told us about this kind of incredible alliance and support and this idea that the recovery needs to be owned, well, by you guys, really, how important is that to you? And in terms of renewable energy and the rebuild, is it happening? Can you see something happening, some change happening? Well, I think that this flood and the this catastrophe has changed a lot of minds. But I also see that many people are still at their old positions because like we're talking about new heating systems and they still wanted oil and not sustainable solutions. And I was shocked by that. I was like, your heating system was flooded out by the water. So like... Don't you think it would be better to use sustainable solutions? But I think community energy and sustainable options just have to be very attractive. I think I would, for our own region, I would really like to be this model region and to show people how it can be done. Yeah, I would really like if we get this sustainable change, like in some way also system change so that we can achieve a more sustainable future and that we can live in a more sustainable way and not consuming fossil fuels and using the options we have. That's nearly all we have time for in this episode of We The Power. But I want to end by asking each of you what action you would recommend for anyone who might be listening who has been affected by climate change like Julia or wants to kickstart the community energy revolution in their own neighbourhood. I think it may sound a little bit silly, but they just have to do it. Not wait for anybody to start. Start yourself. Getting people involved, all stakeholders involved, and really build back better. Get as much information as possible. Get connected. Try to find out, is there a community energy group in maybe your town already, then maybe you can join them. These people from the community energy sector, they're usually very kind. They're happy. They will come. They will help you. They will advise you on those steps. And, and let me tell you, I'm, I'm also chairing the community energy working group at ARENA, at the International Renewable Energy Agency, and we just published a toolkit for community energy. 
and there's very basic information what needs to be done. But of course, if you have something in your neighborhood, start there, connect with the people, learn the practical steps that need to be done. We must do it, not in 20 years, it must happen in the next five to 10 years. Yes, it needs to happen now. I don't think it could be clearer after what we've heard today from Julia and Sandra and Stefan, thank you to all of them, it needs to happen now. If you are interested in finding out more, please visit the website patagonia.com forward slash we the power. In the next episode, we'll be finding out how Italy is facing the challenge of the energy crisis and using renewable community energy to power a new kind of politics. Sounds good, doesn't it? Until then, goodbye. And if you're enthused to start your own community energy journey, good luck and we are with you. We the Power. We the Power, a podcast from Patagonia.